0: Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Dr. Coleman, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please start by formally introducing
1: yourself? Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Mary Sue Coleman, and uh, I'm a biochemist. I was a faculty member for 19 years before I started on this administrative path uh, and uh, ultimately became a president. Um, I was the former president of the University of Iowa and then the University of Michigan. And after Michigan, uh, I went to Washington DC and was president of the Association of American Universities for four years. And now I'm retired for a second time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations. That's right. Well, as you know, I'm Nikki Sundstrom, the Director of Social Media and Public Engagement here at the Mm -hmm. University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so I want to start off our conversation today by having you walk us through your personal and professional journey. What led you to where you are today? Mm -hmm. And I happen to have it on good authority that you are one of many strong and accomplished women in your family. So I'd love to hear more about that as
1: well. Sure. well, uh, I'm one of three daughters. Uh, my parents, uh, both of them were very focused on education as were my grandparents. And uh, it was always uh, sort of known that uh, not only would we uh, go to college but that we would all pursue careers and advanced work after college. So that was never a question. I was a middle child. I have a younger sister and an older sister. My older sister who sadly is deceased, she was a physician and uh, also very immersed in science. My younger sister uh, uh, was a lawyer. Uh, she was the lead prosecutor uh, in the Weld County in Colorado, and she's now retired as well. Um, so we, we, we just sort of had that in our blood and uh, uh, always knew that uh, we would uh, try to, you know, have whatever impact we could for good uh, in our careers. That's
0: tremendously impressive. Right. So, what about the defining moments in your youth or career path um, helped shape where you are today and the many things that you've been able to accomplish?
1: Sure. Well, you know, both my parents were very dedicated. My mother was a teacher uh, in elementary school, but she was a very creative teacher and tried to bring uh, science into the classroom for young people who are naturally curious, and so that was terrific. I also had, uh, just in high school, I was very involved in science and science fairs and I had tremendous teachers there, science teachers. Uh, and then when I got to graduate school, I had a very good friend, a woman, Mary Ellen Jones, who uh, was a distinguished biochemist and she really encouraged me to you know, pursue an academic career. I wasn't sure that I would do that when I was in college or even in graduate school, um, but that, became something that uh, obviously suited me pretty well. So I've had important people all along in my life who really helped encourage me.
0: That's fantastic. Can you convey, um, as you kind of mentioned in your your biography, um, you've had a lot of firsts, and I'd love to hear from you the sense of emotion or purpose that you felt when you realized each of those firsts, the first woman president of the University of Iowa, um, and then later at the University of Michigan. Can you tell me
1: a little bit about that? Sure. Well, you know, one of the things I think that, you know, the people who are around I me, mean, certainly my husband and partner in life, uh, it, to really when opportunities present themselves uh to take advantage and to try some new things and at each step along the way I I had an opportunity to help lead a cancer center and then I had an opportunity to uh, become a dean of graduate studies and, and and at every step it was just well you know why not try this it's new and uh I discovered quite early on that I really enjoyed the administrative work, as much as I enjoyed the laboratory work and being a faculty member and teaching, they're very different. But I've had this opportunity to have several different kinds of satisfying careers, and I had people around me who were encouraging and helpful. And uh, just take a chance. <laughs> uh, so, so this issue—it's interesting that you bring it up—the issue of the first woman this and the first woman that. I was always very careful in my public statements to make it clear that leading an organization, being a university president, is a very tough job. It's equally tough for men and women. There really isn't any difference. And so I approached sort of my job and my leadership, you know, in the same way that I thought my male colleagues, you know, would do it. And everybody brings different strengths to. To their leadership style. Uh, but I think that probably helped me and it's certainly helped I think put people at ease because I was one of the early women to become presidents of major universities. Of course now there are a lot more and this is terrific uh, because there are a lot there's talent everywhere and uh, being able to tap into that talent I think is extraordinarily important.
0: I think that's really well said. thank you. So during your tenure here at the University of Michigan, what are you most proud of?
1: Oh my, (laughs) Michigan is such a, it's just such a terrific institution. And uh, so is Iowa, Uh, Michigan's larger uh, and sort of has a more global reach than Iowa does, but they're both terrific institutions. But uh, so my top five, let me sort of give you my top five that that I felt really good about. Uh, The first was taking a chance and acquiring the the North Campus Research Complex, uh, because that was a big leap uh, to take it, but we got it at a very good price. It was really a bargain basement price (laughs) to get all of the space and land. uh, And so that was, I thought that was really worked out well for the university. The second was, you know, to really talk about and the state and try to initiate more economic development initiatives and to make that a real mission of the university. Because when I was president at Michigan, uh, the whole state was in a deep economic decline. Uh, You know, we've got a pretty bad economic situation now, but we also had one in Michigan in the early 2000s when the auto industry was in such shape. And so I thought the university should get out there and have an external phase to help. Uh, so that was the second one the third one was to focus on the residential life initiative for students and particularly for undergraduate students uh, to renovate all of the all of those halls residence halls because they hadn't been touched in 30 years and they were out of date they didn't have the right uh, connectivity uh, you know computers laptops were just becoming really important for students and so we did all that and then we added the graduate uh, the Residents, uh, which helped graduate students and professional students. And uh, I, just, I just felt like weaving that together and having the intellectual environment of the university as part of the residence experience, and particularly in the first and second years for undergraduates, was really important. Uh, the fourth was we had a big initiative on junior faculty uh, hiring for. For, for faculty that worked across disciplines, they would be very interdisciplinary. They wouldn't be just specialized in one small area. And again, uh, we added 100 new faculty into the institution and got some terrific people. And so that was the fourth. And then the fifth, you know, it, it seems like a, an age ago, <laughs> but when we did the big partnership with Google to digitize all of the collection. Uh, of the university library, the 7 million volumes. That was a big undertaking. Uh, and, and Michigan was the first public university to get involved and to do it. And I'm very proud that we did it. And, and lots of people at the university who made that happen.
0: Yeah. Wow. You really laid a foundation that you probably couldn't have predicted for the pandemic and oh, no. virtual learning. Right. Um, and and I know selfishly, we take full advantage of having the Bentley archives um, all digitized in all of our content that we share online. It really comes in handy. Um, just yesterday, we were able to depict all of the previous presidents
1: that have visited campus oh. because they're all available online so thank oh, you for that <laughs> it's great and you know there was a lot of skepticism about it when uh, right. we entered into it and everybody was afraid of being sued by the publishers and it, right. it you know but it was the right thing to do and that's that's what I, I always love about michigan that michigan always finds a way to do the right thing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, the university and that just made me so proud
0: you are an innovator and a futurist. I, I love it. That's fantastic. Well,
1: let's uh, pivot just a little
0: bit on this one then because I know that's a million dollar question what you're proud of. What about what keeps you awake at night? Was there anything that you felt like you left unfinished um, at Michigan?
1: You know, well, this is a continuum. And so there's always unfinished business of course and, and the environment changes and presidents have to, ach- to change to the environment. I worried constantly though about having enough money, enough funding for financial aid for students because I really wanted Michigan to be a place you know, that if, if you were accepted at Michigan, then your family's finances should not prevent you from coming to Michigan. And I know the university has continued under President Schlissel, you know, really stepped up to that. And it's been you know, quite, it's really been wonderful. Um, I also worried about having the right kind of support and funding for the faculty uh, because, you know, what they do is expensive. The research that they do is expensive, and we needed to have the right facilities for them and the right funding to have them get the equipment that they needed uh, to just do this fabulous work. So so that, that was, you know, and I'm sure it's a continuing worry at the university, <laughs> but uh, but that, when you asked me what kept me awake at night, well, that's what kept me awake. Absolutely. Those are
0: completely realistic (laughs) items. I think money and financial need keeps all of us awake for lots of different reasons. Um, You know, if I recall correctly, you championed the Global Michigan Initiative Mm -hmm. and won an award
1: for international education.
0: Um, If you're okay with me going a little off script, can you tell me
1: about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, Well, you know, I thought it was really important for Michigan to target areas of the world and put some emphasis not to be spread everywhere. So the first thing we did was to do a survey of faculty. Where were your collaborations? What were you doing globally? And so we got a lot of information. In fact, we got really in-depth information about the 45 countries that Michigan faculty had really good uh, interactions with. But we then looked at our strengths at the strongest interactions. And we chose three areas of the world to really focus on China, South Africa, and Ghana. In Africa and Brazil, and uh, those—I mean, China. A lot of universities were going to and getting collaborations. Not so many in Africa, and not so many in Brazil. So we were we were really trying to do some sort of unique things, and not only provide opportunities for our students, but our faculty. And those were very satisfying relationships, and have been continuing, uh, you know, since. Uh, since I retired. We also established this joint institute in engineering with Shanghai Zhaotong University and brought hundreds of students from China and hundreds of our students went to Shanghai. Uh, And so that was also a very satisfying experience in depth uh, because what we didn't want is just hundreds of hundreds of sort of paper relationships that didn't result in anything. Uh, we wanted depth (laughs) rather than breadth uh, in that area. And so I I think it worked pretty well.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, how about we explore your experience after leaving the University of Mm -hmm. Michigan? um, When you accomplished yet another first, can you share what it was like serving as the president of the Association of American Universities?
1: Well, moving to Washington was, we thought, was my husband and I thought, well, this will be a, a really interesting experience. Uh, we didn't quite expect the outcome of the election in 2016. And uh, we lived right in the center of Washington. And so really got to understand the life in the nation's capital. And so that was an experience and a good learning experience for me. But the Association of American Universities is just a terrific organization. It's small. We only have about 32 staff there. And uh, the main offices of the association were two blocks from our house. So that made my life extremely simple and easy, sort of like being on a university campus. And the people that I interacted with, they have a terrific staff. It is a small staff, but absolutely expert at what they do in understanding the pulse of Washington. You know, that, that, what, what I learned was how hard it is when the presidents of the AAU want something to, be, to happen in Washington, uh, with either a legislative issue or with an agency in Washington, how responsive, the AAU staff are to those requests from the university presidents. Uh, The other thing about it that was delightful to me is that uh, I got to work very closely with all of my colleagues in the AAU, the presidents. And as they're all were friends for my, because I'd been one of them at one point, Uh, it was just an extremely satisfying experience. And uh, we were able to accomplish Uh, we were able to stop some bad things from happening to universities. (laughs) I I said I sort of spent most of my days worried about the bad things that might happen uh, in Washington to universities, Uh, but we also got some very good things done, and so it was a, it was very satisfying. It turned out to be uh, just a a tremendous experience, and I'm glad that I had it.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how you felt the role as the the president of the A.U. differed from your experience here in, in Michigan as the, you know, president of an individual university? Yeah, so, of course.
1: So, yeah, sure. curious. Yeah. No, of course. Um, when you're president of a university like Michigan, you're on call 24 seven. Anything can happen. You're, all your evenings are usually taken up. With going to events on campus, or entertaining donors, or visiting alumni um, weekends—you have no weekends to yourself. It's—it's it's constant. Uh, AAU is really nine to five, and uh, I sort of—it was for me—it was—it was wonderful. I mean, I. I would go into the office, and we would work very hard during the day, getting the things done that we needed to get done. But we didn't have to entertain anybody. We didn't have to entertain alumni. <laughs> you know, we would bring we would bring meetings into our offices, but those were those were you know just a few times a year. So it wasn't it wasn't this constant, constant, constant. And so what that left for us for for Ken and me was the opportunity to have all these great experiences visiting the sites in Washington and going to events in Washington before the pandemic struck that is, we were really able and we took advantage of uh, just being there and being able to explore the city um, in a very wonderful way. So a much less stressful job and uh, AAU always selects as its president, uh, somebody who's just recently retired from being president of an AAU institution. Um, and so, I, mean, I understood exactly what our presidents were going through, you know, I could talk to them, I could commiserate with them, because I had been there uh, once, but it was much lower stress job.
0: Much better work-life balance, probably, right? <laughs> that's, that's what we all aspire to, so right. that's fantastic. So you mentioned the pandemic, which we would be remiss not to talk about during um, a conversation like this. Yeah. The pandemic has obviously had profound impacts on families and, and students and, and education generally. What changes do you foresee and what guidance do you have to provide learners?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think there are three things that the pandemic has really taught us. The first is the need and the value of science and science in order to give us good information, to have experts who can help us through a difficult time like a pandemic. The second thing we've learned is the limitations of online education. I think it's pretty clear, we hear it all the time, that students do not want to sit in front of a computer all day. Uh, They really want to be on campus. They want the advantages that an in-person experience because there's so much more that students can take advantage of in the campus environment than sitting in the classroom. I mean, obviously sitting in the classroom is important and learning from experts is important, but all these other things are important as well. And so I think the pandemic, rather than pushing a lot of people to online will make everybody appreciate much more the kind of experience that our students have at Michigan, which is outstanding. The third thing is that we've learned through this tough time is the urgent need to address the racial injustices uh, in our country and that we need to find a way to listen to a lot of voices and hear what they have to say as we sort of forge our path for the future.
0: I think that's really important your words take me back to graduate school, thinking about modalities of of learning and and teaching, right? We're missing the experiential and and we're seeing it impact us in a multitude of ways, even outside of learning, right? Uh, Even if you're working remotely, I think a lot of people are missing that interaction um, well, our conversation today is obviously uh, gearing up for our Women's History Month mm-hmm. content series. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love for you, although you mentioned one earlier in the conversation, to, to name a woman within your life to whom you look for for inspiration mm-hmm. or someone who has helped shape the person that you are today.
1: Yeah. Well, so outside my mother, I mean, my mother was enormously influential. She was very smart. Uh, very uh, accomplished. She taught elementary school, but she was extremely creative. And uh, so that was extraordinarily important. Uh, the, other, the other woman was a biochemist. She's, she's gone now, uh, but Mary Ellen Jones, who was very distinguished biochemist. And I did a postdoctoral fellowship with her uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And she was enormously important to me. Uh, and encouraging me to uh, have have first an academic career as a scientist in a major university. And then, you know, second to start this path uh, of administrative leadership as well. And so uh, when she was here, I used, uh, around, I used to talk to her all the time and get her advice. uh, And I'll always credit her with pushing me to do the next thing. It's very important.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) So in your experience and opinion, then, Mm -hmm. what is the greatest challenge currently facing women today?
1: Sure. You know, I think it's really unfortunate in this pandemic that women, I do believe, have been uh, more negatively affected than men. And part of it is the multiple roles that they play, Mm -hmm. having a career, having a family. uh, I can't imagine how hard it must be now for women who have children who are having to work from home, having to take care of children, or having to have them be uh, online school where they're trying to monitor the the students uh, during their lessons. Uh, I mean, this is just extraordinarily difficult, uh, period. And so, uh, you know, that, and balancing, even in a normal time outside a pandemic, sort of balancing those multiple roles, uh, because, you know, women, usually have more, I mean, there are a lot of great men out there who help, you know, raise children and take care of children, but in general, more of these responsibilities fall to women. And, and and it's always trying to reconcile wanting to have a great career, being dedicated to that career, and also making sure that you are dedicated to your children and their well being and your home life and that well being so Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really hard. And what I, the advice I always give young women is pick your partner carefully so that you share the duties. It isn't just the woman or, you know, there could be two women in a relationship and it isn't just one of them that has all those duties. So uh, that's the advice I would give. (laughs)
0: it's it's phenomenal advice it it certainly (laughs) registers with me who currently has six children learning remotely in the house while trying to (laughs) to work full-time I'm eternally grateful for my spouse um he has been a lifesaver you know for me to conduct conversations like this while you know everyone is being held hostage downstairs so that's fantastic well, I wanna I wanna ask you a question about leadership advice specifically for women who are aspiring to lead as you've so brilliantly done and accomplish things that perhaps haven't been done before. What wisdom do you offer those young women?
1: Well, you know, what I always found is when I was going into a new situation and I have I have been in very different situations, I think if it's mm-hmm. possible. To have different experiences at different places that this is this can be valuable it it isn't essential but it can be valuable but when you go to a new environment it's really important to sit back and learn about that environment before you try to come in and make suggestions (laughs) and changes so i used to say whenever i moved to a new university and i'd been at five uh, i spent about the first year learning the, the landscape what were the issues how were people dealing with them what were the things that Needed to be changed. What were the concerns that people had, um, and so, so I would I would listen, and then I would figure out okay what are the decisions that have to be made. What are the choices that I needed to do in whatever position I was in to help move the organization forward. So once I figured that out, I would I would lay out the choices that we had. We could do this and go this path, or this and go this path. And there's almost always a choice that you're going to make. And so once I laid out the choices, then I would get advice from people and say, okay, I'm, I'm about to try to decide something. Tell me what you think about it. And depending on what the choice was, I would be talking to different groups of people about their advice. Okay, once I got the input and listened, then I would decide the best path, make a decision. But then I would go back and tell the people who, whose, whose ideas I didn't take why I didn't take their ideas. And what I learned from that is that what people really want is to know they've been heard. I've listened to them, I evaluated their ideas, but then i went a different path and why I did that. And for me, that was always a successful strategy. Uh, And and it's just a leadership style that I've used in every single position I've ever been in and it's worked for me. I think
0: that's wonderful advice. Um,
1: before we end our conversation mm-hmm. today,
0: do you have any parting thoughts on how you hope to see the role of women in higher education and society continue yeah. to evolve in the next 10 to 20 years? Sure. You,
1: you know, one of the things I really encourage women and, and particularly in the professional schools, uh, in, in liberal arts, you know, more women are being department chairs, they're becoming deans, they're getting the kind of experience outside their scholarly realm that can help them lead. Uh, medical schools uh, aren't so good at this. They're not, not that many women department chairs or women deans uh, or women vice chancellors or vice presidents of health sciences. And it's, it's those positions that put people you know, in the pathway to become a university president or become a leader. So I just encourage more women to step up, to take the chance uh, to also have more uh, you know, medical school administrators, current administrators say, what can we do to help encourage women to take on some of these leadership roles? Because women will have good ideas just like men have good ideas. And getting more people in those kind of roles then can help students in the next generation see that, oh, well, there's a whole spectrum of people doing these jobs. And maybe it's something that I could aspire to. And so uh, that's, that's the advice that I give. And yes, the jobs are hard. Yes, you'll have problems that you have to work on and try to, to overcome, uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's very satisfying to have had this kind of role and realize that you can move a department forward or move a school forward or move a university forward. Uh, it's just one of the most satisfying accomplishments, at least that I've had in my life. And I've enjoyed every single one of them.
0: Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag Impact.